Salutations, and welcome into Let's Be Civil, Infotech's podcast with civil discussions on civil infrastructure. I'm Nate Binder, and today I am your only Infotech host because my fellow host Chad is off protesting the NCAA to give Michigan State a ball game. That's a, a cause that's very important to his heart, so he had to step away for this episode. But I am thrilled to be joined by Matt Sprague, the host of Trimble's Connected Construction podcast. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited for this crossover event. Um, excited to to bring uh, your podcast uh, over to our listeners. So thank you very much for having me. For sure. Before we get started, do you want to tell us a little bit about the Connected Construction platform and the mission of the podcast? Absolutely. So um, yeah, so the Connected Construction show. Oh, that's um, my bad. I even yeah, connected no, it in my right. notes. Yeah. That's all right. It's a potato, potato, really. So, right. um, so we were uh, basically born out of a need for additional content um, from the pandemic, and we really we we are there's this term connected construction that is rather ambiguous. It can it can mean so many different things, um, and that's a good thing, right? But we're trying to highlight the stories from which people are connecting, whether it's technology, uh, processes, or people uh, in, in the construction industry to create greater efficiencies. And we're trying to highlight stories and show how things are getting done. So comfort in numbers, people can kind of learn from each other. Awesome. As a, uh, you know, as a copywriter, occasionally, the idea of connection and all the sort of plays you can do off it is definitely one that I, I find myself returning to. And it's also nice that you touched on people, technology, and process, because I think that segues very well into our conversation today, where we are thrilled to be joined by a panel of industry rock stars. They are coming off their discussion uh, with InfraTalk America, a publication that puts out industry-relevant conversations into the uh, you know, the social media sphere for us to discuss and digest. Um, their panel was called Chasing Innovation in the Industry, Workforce Readiness, Technology Adoption, and Social Sustainability. And we're going to chat with them about the ideas they explored during that panel. If you haven't seen it, I recommend checking it out. You can go to infratalkamerica.com slash roundtables and find the recording there. But we're going to also be sure to include any sort of necessary context from that discussion in our conversation today. So if you haven't seen it, you won't be lost. So without further ado, we will introduce our, our, our panelists today, and we will start with uh, Tara Blythe from Infotech. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Tara. I am the chief people officer here at Infotech. That means I oversee people, culture, and communications. I normally say I have the best job. I've worked across industries in my career. I've always worked in the workforce development, and I will talk about that today. I do not love that term, but it is the term our industry still uses. I work in the organizational development and strategy space my entire career, and I currently get the pleasure of doing that for a SaaS company that serves civil and infrastructure construction, our Infotech. Awesome. Now we'll go to Jennifer Steen from HDR. Hello, my name is Jen, and I am HDR's Highway and Local Roads BIM Director, which means I get to help everyone move forward with digital delivery and BIM. My background is in 3D modeling. I came all the way from just roadway design, a civil engineer with a PE and, and my PMP. So I've taken a lot of different experiences, but what I've always loved is 
that 3D modeling aspect, how do we take our data and actually get to reuse it all the time? And so over the past many years, I have progressed uh, my career through digital delivery. So that's how I ended up here and getting to meet a lot of people and present across the U.S. and even internationally. So it's it's been fun. <laughs> awesome. And now we'll go to F. Tripolais from Trimble. And I hope I pronounced your last name right. Yeah, sure. Um, it is Tripolitis. I don't hold anybody to that. I'm right. Ev. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and I am a technical consultant and sustainability analyst for Trimble. My background is in civil engineering and sustainable infrastructure materials. And I followed my desire for progress in the industry through construction and design. And that's what brought me into the technology space with Trimble. And I'm really grateful in my current role to have the opportunity to contribute to the industry moving forward socially and technologically. Awesome. We're so glad that you guys could join us today. It was an awesome panel that you gave at InfraTalk. And what I really loved about it was, as you just sort of outlined, you all have different backgrounds, different specialties, but there's a interconnected nature between them and that the way that they relate to the industry and sort of drive the industry forward. Um, there was a slide during that InfraTalk presentation that sort of touches on that interconnected nature of our industry, of industry trends, our workforce, our technology, and how those uh, overlaps may change how we approach training or employment or our core processes or even the, you know, the pursuit of innovation itself. So um, could you elaborate, uh, and this can go to anyone that's happy to take it, uh, could you elaborate on how understanding and sort of maximizing those connections leads to innovation? Sure. I, I think we started off when we got together talking about some of the issues that we've all gone through across our different jobs. And we started to see how digital delivery and people and then technology all came together and were overlapping. And as we started to find a way to present all of these ideas together because we wanted to do a presentation and we're trying to find a new way to present these ideas instead of just the regular, you know, every every conference, every presentation type thing. So we wanted to do something different. And these are the topics that are really the underlying issues that are going on, but we never talk about. We never really talk about where we're going with employment, but also with processes and how that interrelates with training and workforce development and, and just our industry in general. So we wanted to combine everything and how they overlap. And as we kept talking together over a number of different weeks, trying to trying to culminate all these ideas, I think we came up with this kind of overlapping look. Because with digital delivery and with technology and all our people, it grows these these topics grow very broadly. And how do you collaborate that all together? How do you smash that and actually find the common thread all the way through so we can actually develop change? How do we push our people without being so overwhelmed? How do we try new technology without losing people along the way and yet still getting all of our work done? We still need to, de to design and, and build our infrastructure. That's the whole point of our jobs, right? We're here to build and help the public because that's, that's what we love to do but we also have to change along the way. We're in this crazy time where everything's advancing so quickly. And how do you maintain that? Because it takes time. Absolutely. Right, I guess just to comment on that, um, it's really sad or confusing to see like, why don't we talk about these things? It feels pretty clear that once we kind of get into the conversations and see the different perspectives from Jen, Tara, and myself, that there really is a lot of intersectionality. So as we're pushing towards innovation technologically, if we don't follow these things, 
we will not be able to successfully implement the technology and the innovation that we need to move the industry forward. So this is a topic that needs to come into play. Um, sometimes it's a difficult topic. Sometimes it can be confusing. But if we don't talk about this, we can't make the progress that we need to to move forward. And we'll, we'll dive deeper into this and some of these other questions. But the, the major premise that we came to when we connected ourselves, and I do love that connecting um, phrase, Matt, I'm going to use that throughout this as well. Like when we connected on this, we, we really were struck by how reactionary our industry does tend to be. We met at a conference, a large conference where we, you know, were popping in between different sessions and listening and it, there was good discussion, but it was very much, here's what's coming at us. What are we going to do about it? Three of us kind of stepped back and went, why aren't we leading some of these conversations? There are spaces where we do, and that actually tends to be more in the technology space and not in the people space. And so then we really dove into that, and that's kind of where we landed on some of the conversation that you heard in that panel, and I think we're going to talk about today. So, Tara, that the interesting kind of bring this up the, as as the three of you just kind of talked about. Um, this first question that Nate provided, um, there was a, a conversation I had with um, a gentleman from uh, Hansel Phelps, and he he explained to me that on their average project, they have to implement 32 different point solutions technologically with all of their project stakeholders on every single project. And those 32 could be different so there's so that the actual total number so i feel like from a people perspective there's like an a feeling of over being overwhelmed uh by quote-unquote innovation right and the innovation has always been on the points point solutions and that it at times it it stifles uh innovation because everybody's always just trying to think about how they can get their get their job done and having to uh, do all these type of things so are, are are any of you kind of experiencing that in in your day-to-days where it's just there's there's no time to innovate because you're having to worry about so many different point solutions yep i hear it all the time i mean it's even just on the littlest things i'll try this new pro program and we try to train people and it's it's, I don't have time to get my work done. And so how do you provide solutions and training along the way that helps them, but at the same time, allowing them to get their work done. So even just at the, like the base level, I hear that a lot. And even ourselves, like, I'm pretty sure we all have new roles and responsibilities. We're all trying to learn new technology just to even be aware of it. Where do I find the time, especially, you know, with work-life balance too. So that's a whole other discussion, but just how do you learn about even just something without even getting trained in it? It takes time, like I said before. And I think this is something that we touched on a little bit when we spoke about technology previously and how we can adapt technology to the workforce as well. Again, we're playing into all of these impacting each other. So the more user-friendly or the more digestible or comparable the technology that we're using is, the easier it's going to be to implement. We want everything to be, of course, as user-friendly as possible, but there are a lot of considerations here based on the audience or the users that do kind of require their own needs and considerations when it comes to designing the technology. And of course we can build in technological or technology training that's coming through a digital option or various walkthroughs or workflows that can be depicted on the machine itself to help contribute to the understanding of the technology. 
I always love to go after Ev because I always like to underscore exactly what she's stating and, and maybe make more of a generalization of what, what we're trying to say in some of this. And that is there there's a similar there's an importance to understanding the similarities of what people are facing within our industry and the differences in how they will digest it because the uniqueness of who they are and how we meet them where they are. And I think that's what you're saying. I, I answered this question last week at a couple colleagues check on me. It's a busy time of year, right? Especially in my part of the business and the people part of the business. And I answer, I'm running a thousand miles an hour while running set while trying to spend 17 plates. If we, it, that's kind of what you're saying when everybody's feeling that way, but you're, there's an ask for them to stop trying to just keep up, but maybe get ahead. You have to meet them while they're running and you have to give them something that helps them do what they're doing without stopping. And that is really the type of discussion we're having today is like, how do we do that? How, what do we know and where can we meet them? I'm curious, Tara, because I love the the title of the presentation. And when I went into the panel, I, I thought of chasing innovation as like, okay, how do we get to the next advanced technology, exciting technology? And then throughout the discussion, it's it's revealed that it's more about the feeling that you kind of touched on of like almost being constantly feeling like we're behind uh, chasing this innovation or that our people are the ones that feel like they're having to chase innovation because they're having these hurdles. Maybe a new technology is adopted. It requires new skills. Those skills are hard to find. It leads to shortages. We can see how it's like a never-ending domino effect. Um, but I'm curious from from your perspective, that 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 gap that sometimes occurs is it more of a training challenge of we need to get our existing staff to to under this point of understanding or, or those shortcuts that you talked about or educational materials or is it more about recruiting a new uh wave of of skilled workers well so it's connected and it's both mm -hmm. right so i guess this is going to be the theme of of this um discussion but it it's a talent challenge our industry asks for an interesting juxtaposition, right? It looks for specific knowledge and specific skills. And in our current talent base, when you look across the civil infrastructure construction industry, it's often not easy, but easier to acquire, right? Or talent acquisition, if you will, to acquire talent that has one or the other, that has knowledge of our industry, which is normally created within our industry of like time and seat. Right. Understanding of construction, of materials, of civil rights and labor, of estimation principles, usually applied through many, many years in the field doing the work. They built that knowledge or you find someone who's highly skilled in the technology that we use, which is normally acquired through education, through very specialized training that they've built. And you can find and to find someone who has both is the purple unicorn. So going out there and finding that individual, the the demand for that talent is absolutely outpacing the supply. And that's that's what gets to our concerns that gets to the workforce readiness piece. So ultimately you need to do a little bit of both. You need strategies that match that kind of acquisition of certain skill sets and you got to teach the other and you need to know what your company is and which one you're going to go after, what type of talent you're going to find and what you're going to invest in to learn. So you can keep up or ideally, get ahead. And the ones that I think I see the companies that are really trying to get ahead are stepping back completely and really uniquely looking at what their talent value proposition is and how they move that forward. I also think something to build on that it's you can't do everything. 
and not one person can do everything. And as a company, you can't do everything. Um, you have to find where your lane is and, and how to develop people along that um, that lane. Uh, you know, so if you're going to, I don't know, if you're in construction, developing people uh, in that course, and then educating them on those tools and technology and what's actually impacting the types of projects you're working on. Um, and, and so if you can do that, I think you're going to build a stronger group and, um, you know, talent base there and have them grow so that they, they it's kind of like containing them in that area without broadening too far. Cause it, it becomes like that impending doom <laughs> if, of all this stuff, right? All of these plates and like everything's moving and then all of a sudden time passes and I don't even know how it's Christmas. So it's, <laughs> how do you, how do you get it all done in, in that time? So it's just, um, I, th I think if you can think what you want to do and, and target that lane, you'll be able to get things done. And then you can continue to grow and bigger and bigger but target specific things first, grow there, and then keep going. And I feel like we're kind of moving into the current mindset of the industry as well. A topic that we discussed previously was kind of along the way of two-way teaching and really thinking about what is holding us back in the industry and preventing us to make progress is kind of the lack of collaboration. As we do see a general generational shift, we see the majority of the industry around a certain range figuring out how we can open minds in both ways to understand that there's always more to learn and there's always progress to be made. And sometimes, you know, you're going to learn things from an unexpected guest and it's keeping an open mind and really shifting minds to see that progress and technology aren't holding you back, aren't going to make you lose your job, for example. They're really going to help you and augment the opportunity to do better. Awesome. Yeah, I love the idea of specialization, uh, for lack of a better word. I mean, uh, FHWA will put out their everyday counts initiatives, and this is that's basically them saying to the industry, "Here's our here's our bars for innovation. Here are the seven things that if you want to be an innovative person in this industry or uh, organization, you need to be doing." And it's easy to look at that and be completely overwhelmed by six of the seven things that your organization hasn't even dipped their toes in, but that that one that you live in is the area where you can innovate. And so I think I love that idea of, of honing down a little bit more. Um, from, from your perspective, uh, you focused a lot on social sustainability during the panel discussion and, and sustainability to me sort of ticked off immediately, like environment, thinking about the environment, building things in a way that they're sustainable and green and things like that. But it it was really a lot more than that and and talked a lot about the intersection of people and progress was, I believe, um, the, the definition you used. So could you could you elaborate on that and as it relates to the adoption of new technologies that we're, that we're talking about? Sure. So I guess the word sustainability really does bring to mind frequently environmental, you know, carbon emissions. Of course, there are a lot of environmental considerations beyond this. We're talking about habitat disturbance, for example, but all of these are really tied to people and everything that we do, especially in this industry, is for the people that we serve. So carbon emissions and environmental impacts do play a key role in this because very frequently um, some of the underrepresented or underprivileged communities or um, different areas are pretty frequently heavily further impacted by environmental changes than other communities. This can go into infrastructure resilience. It can go into air quality. It can go into traffic. So there are a lot of ties between carbon, for example, or emissions and the social sustainability side. But 
we have to start thinking about the social impact as well. Sometimes this um, can get looped in exclusively with equity. Equity is a key point or a key focus of social sustainability. But of course, there are um, there are things beyond this. In our industry specifically, we can look at safety, for example. We're thinking about not only the safety of our our workers or our um, operators, for example, but the safety of those impacted by construction sites or ADA compliance, for example. Are we making sure that everyone can still make their way through during and after the construction project is complete? And one of the ways that we can use technology, specifically in our industry, we can look at just safety. What kind of solutions can we implement that are making sure that we're keeping people on site out of places that they shouldn't be or making sure that they are satisfying all of their safety requirements? And there's a lot of innovation coming in here. We've got innovation on noticing if there's different sounds coming from a construction site and if we can flag that as a dangerous situation. Can we use AI to make sure everyone on site is wearing a hard hat? So technology can come in there. It can come in the training side. It really can come in impactfully to the community engagement as well. How can we make changes and inform the community in a digestible format? It's really difficult to get genuine feedback when the people you're talking to might not even have access to the conversations you're having. Is there a way we can make this online, have an open portal? You know, we need to make sure that this community engagement isn't happening in the middle of the day and in a place that's far from transportation or not accessible to people. But beyond this, how can we use technology to make these things more digestible by making a 3D model or using augmented reality to show constituents exactly how this construction project is going to impact them, how much time it's going to take, where it's going to get close to their get close to their property or impact the things that they do and how can we you know ca- gather feedback and let that impact the decisions that we make moving forward so so, so ev um i i tend to do this i want to like this is a new thing for me so i want to make sure i have it right and and uh, potentially the the listeners of the show maybe have the same same thing so um just like nate nate had just said sustainability I went right to environmental. And so now I'm, I'm trying to kind of equate this, right? So sustainability, we're talking about the sustainability of the, the world and its resources and that type of stuff. But in here, the social sustainability, and in particular, we're talking about construction. So it's a, being able, it, so this is the question. So is, is this meant to kind of infer that it's sustain, the sustainability of the construction community? Uh, and all of its stakeholders and everybody who interacts with a construction project and whatnot. So it's kind of creating like that and, and why it's tied into, uh, and, and Tara, I know you said you didn't like this term, the workforce development is part of uh, the, a sustainability effort to make sure that we can continue to construct. Is that, yeah. am I, am I, do I, am I getting it? <laughs> um, I mean, like the word sustainability, right, in itself is, how can we sustain this situation for as long as possible? And in some instances, this is talking about a road. But if we don't have sustainable and resilient communities, we don't have sustainable and resilient functionality as you know, as people in the industry, we won't have an industry or community to support. You know, making sure that we have a healthy community to serve. Mm-hmm. is the only way that we'll have a community to serve at all. Making sure that it's equitable is the only way we're going to see progress and making sure that 
we are providing access to all of these things for everyone is really the only way we can make a positive impact. If we're not understanding where the community is, if we're not understanding what the impacts of our efforts and projects are going to be, then we really can't be successful at moving forward in the industry. So this is this was my aha moment when Ev and I first started talking about this, and it, it I was able to understand what she was saying here so quickly because it's how I view the world when I look at an organization. It's where I'm supposed to from my seat. So to your point, Matt, yes, I do make the comment that I'm trying to get our our industry to catch up a little bit and transition from this idea of human capital to people, right? They're, they're people with unique mindsets and backgrounds and experiences and values and things where that they see the world. They're not widgets you move around a chessboard. They're not something you can put on a spreadsheet that's just a number. Yes, data can work, but it doesn't work in the same way. And you have to start and end on that premise. And that's what Ev's really saying with social sustainability. Yes, it is the sustainability of the road, but it's understanding the impact of the community. And you can have that same premise. And we get that in our industry, right? I see Ev and other incredible industry leaders like Jen talking about where our industry is going. And I do feel like we're not chasing. I feel like we're having the right conversations that will have our industry have a future. But I do feel a little bit like we're chasing when it comes to people. Like we're not talking about people in the same way that she's talking about the communities we serve. We're talking about people as our users that way. And Ev does an incredible job of talking about user-centered design and all of those things and making sure we truly understand that in a different way. But we're not talking about our people that are fueling that industry in the same way. And we should be. It's not a discussion here like it should be. And th right. that was kind of where we came together. Right. And this plays into, you know, job creation as well. Are we providing opportunity for employees in our industry? And economically, economically, are the things that we're doing contributing to maybe the value of the community? Are we increasing quality of life? Um, and that does play in sometimes into providing a project that might bring jobs into the area or a final project that's going to be influencing the success of the community. I think it's also important to remember that, you know, we've been designing and building projects for hundreds of thousands of years, right? You know, like, but even just over the past hundred years, um, we're, we're building our projects, we're designing them, and we're still doing this today, but now we have new technology and, but also the world's changing. We don't have as much money. Things cost more. We have less people to do it. Um, and so when we're taking a look at digital delivery, we're looking at that whole life cycle and that maintaining and operating all of our assets. So when you're looking at that, if you can, if you only have X amount of money to spend to either improve or build something new, you have to be picking projects and areas and locations that are going to be the most impactful. How are you helping that community? Are you trying, you know, now we, we're not, with social sustainability, you can't build a road through the middle of two different communities and se se segregate them or separate them. You have to be taking a look at these projects and how do they impact everybody as a whole. And that's where that social sustainability comes back into play. But not only the communities, but the people building it, the people designing it, and then ultimately the people maintaining it. So when you take all of that, you have to look at it at, from an agency perspective too. You know, you're looking at the next 20 to 50 years of all of your projects and how is that going to happen? How are you going to use these millions of dollars you're getting from the government or funding from the state to actually do all this stuff? And so you have to be very strategic now because you can't do everything. And so as we're, we're pulling all this new technology, we're pulling all these new processes in, you have to implement that. So we're, is that weird five to 10 year shift where we're still getting accustomed to changing and, and we have to bring everybody along so that the social sustainability 
comes into play with that workforce and people employment development along along the way. So that's how that's how we figured out how it all ties together and makes it cohesive. Right. Yeah, and you I mentioned just, oh, oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, I guess I just want to point to Tara really quick as we lean into the diversity impacts as well. Very frequently more diverse communities or more diverse um, people that we serve are greater, have greater impacts of lack of social sustainability, lack of access, aging infrastructure, of course, impacts of climate change. But we do see the numbers of why it is really important, especially in our workforce, to be bringing in and empowering diversity. On site, we might be considering employees, of course, making sure that we are including disadvantaged businesses as we plan and work towards the completion of projects. So Tara, if you want to talk a little bit about diversity in the workforce, you got the numbers. If I just keep it, Nate? You want to... Yeah, no, go right ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I, this is this is something that's really it's true to my heart, but it's also true to my company's heart. So I will, I will just do a quick but working for Infotech, this is a company that's founded on inclusion, which is a really beautiful thing. And I know Nate did a um, a blog uh, with with our founder, Jim McClave, on this a little bit ago. But I, I, we talk about diversity as not something that we just need to be aware of. And it, and again, I, I like to mention this and, and I've did such a good job of underscoring. Another thing in our industry that we tend to see is it's like we have to pay attention to diversity because we're almost forced to. The government requires us to. No, you should pay attention to it because it makes you better. Because the uniqueness of people make you better. But if that if you don't believe me on that, read any HBR or for or any report that's come out in the last five years that says more diverse teams make better decisions. More diverse companies have higher revenue. More diverse companies as a whole or holistic approaches to problem solving are 12 to 12 to 20 times more innovative in how they quickly they come to those conversations. Investing in diversity is a business imperative. It actually brings us to where we are. On the flip side of that, from a diversity standpoint, that actually means that you know the uniqueness of the people. You have to meet them where they are with the strategies that you employ from a people standpoint. So as Ev spoke about earlier, that's not just two-way training, that's asynchronous learning, that's communities of practice, that's allowing people to find their own way to learn at a speed that works for them in their environment and in their space. And organizations have that challenge. So to be able to keep up, you not you need to not only know the positives that diversity brings to you and how much more success, successful you'll be, but what you owe that unique, diverse population you are now serving and how you meet them where they are. Yeah, I think it was uh, Usha Surya Devara, who was a, a former employee here, who gave a speech on this similar topic. And it, she laid out a simple equation where it was like diverse backgrounds equal diverse perspectives equals a diversity of ideas. And it, it's simple as that, but it's uh, it's true. Um, I'm curious as well, you know, from that people stand. Oh, sorry. Ev, did you have something there? Yeah. Yeah. I just wanted to add kind of a highlight on bringing diversity in from the beginning. So luckily now we're seeing a big shift towards like K through 12 outreach and kind of bringing technology in the industry to more diverse individuals from the beginning. And, you know, right now we're in a situation where there is unequitable access to even working with technology or seeing how our industry is moving forward. And we are having a problem with representation. You know, we have younger individuals that are growing up having never seen anybody in a role like what they're doing. I never saw a civil engineer that was female until maybe I was 18. So 
just playing off of that, there are a lot of diverse communities and diverse individuals who are having a hard time envisioning themselves in a role that they don't see anyone like themselves in. And that's something that's happening societally in a lot of other industries, but it is present in our industry, especially highlighting kind of how far behind the ball we are, not necessarily only in implementing technology, but in progress as an industry. I think too, there's with all this new technology, it's these new roles and responsibilities and new career paths. It's not just project management anymore. It's this now technology career path that people are growing into and that agencies and um, different firms are trying to build upon. The, these roles didn't exist 10 years ago. The, like this stuff wasn't there within our industry. And now that it is, it's how do we start developing people? And it's going back to that training, not only training, but a continual education and having career development around that. So it's not just a one and done, um, you know, just a single training on on a software product or, or technology. It's that continual development over time. And you get that with, if you get your PE, right? You have to do PDHs, or if you get your Envision credentials, you're always building upon what you're learning with, with these different types of accreditations. So we need to have those same types of things within the technology side. And, and we're seeing that happen um, in a broader scale right now. So it was all these different accreditations you can get that aren't your traditional ones. And so now people are going to have more roles, more opportunities, and they're going to see the people in these different career uh, paths. And I think that's where we all come in when we're speaking at, you know, conferences and webinars and local meetings. It's we want to put ourselves out there to be able to show people that we're leaders and thought leadership in the industry on the on these topics. Right. And there is a complexity really tied to having new roles. How do we define these roles? Where do these roles fit in? And right now we're in kind of a transitionary period where we don't have the answers. No one in the industry really does. So we're working on making this progress as we're kind of figuring out the best way to implement these changes or these new roles. I think about uh, what Tara said about how these aren't chess pieces. These are, you know, real people with real motivations, goals. Um, and then something, Jen, that you said, I think it was even before we started recording about how are all these these big ideas that we need to incorporate into our core mission is not even the right word. Our, our jobs is to build an infrastructure asset and things like that. So is that how you see the solution, those, those sort of consistent seminars, consistent education? Is that the solution to, you know, the inspector that before he had to open one app to record a couple of quantities. And now maybe he needs to do uh, take an additional step to meet some environmental regulation or something like that. Like now his, his day-to-day has changed. And maybe how does he see the, or she or they see the full picture of that? Yeah, it's defining the purpose behind it. Like, why do you now need to do all this? And what is, how does that impact you as a person because it all comes down to us every day right like we're each on our own being like how does this impact me why me like why should i do this and so we have to be able to provide that kind of purpose to everybody at the same time with that understanding of how people learn and people learn differently so you get into that diversity piece too how do you educate them and and train them and and teach them in different ways how do you reach them so the the guy comes back to the social sustainability part of it too um because you might have to do one-on-ones with a certain group or certain people, while others would love to just have a virtual training or others want hands-on training or they need to be there in person. How do they learn differently? And then you can also pull that into some of the disability sides of things too. Like people might need to train at night as opposed to like during the regular nine to five. So it's a shift of that mentality and helping people to learn in different ways 
to be able to get to the same, you know, end goal. Right. And how can technology, you know, make this implementation easier? Okay, there's a new step that you need to add, but you're already working in a digital workflow and it only adds one button. Or how can we use technology? I would love to say that once we explain to everyone what the importance is of environmental and social sustainability, they're going to want to do what they have to do to perpetuate it because they care. But at the end of the day, sometimes there's people who are doing this because they have to. Sometimes there are people who are doing this because that's how they're going to get funding or that's how they're going to satisfy requirements. But if we can make this easier and say, you know, this might be something that you don't understand, but it is our new process. And here's how easily we've integrated it into your your workflow for you to execute upon. Awesome. I think um, an area where a lot of these things, these challenges overlap is in what some people call the brain drain, what some people call the silver tsunami of all these people that have knowledge of these intimate processes, leaving the industry as new people come in that maybe have the technology training, but don't have that intimate industry knowledge of the history of how things have been or why they are the, the way they things are. And during the InfraTalk presentation, um, Tara, you were talking about the challenges of maintaining a workforce that spans multiple generations. You know, how, how do we balance that? And then it transitioned into Jen talking about how digital delivery by its nature sort of enables and, and requires increased collaboration. And that, that transition from the challenges of, you know, maintaining that workforce over multiple generations into digital delivery enables collaboration. I feel like that maybe wasn't a coincidental shift. So can you touch on maybe some of those, those positive industry workforce impacts of that digital delivery? Sure. I think with, with digital delivery um, and, and being able to collaborate where you have to sit down together and now talk about those different workflows and, and how you're actually going to make those better decisions by actually putting everybody in the same room or even virtual rooms, you're going to be able to, to get that generational gap and divide um, experience being spoken through or being talked through. You know, like, oh, we used to do this particular workflow. But now that we have technology, someone who has a technology background can help show maybe in that is that 3D model. Like now you can actually see it in 3D as opposed to before where it's just on plans. And so you get that transition of, of the gap of, of across the board with technology and digital delivery and then just the generation um, part of it. So it's pushing to that collaboration. You can't be doing everything siloed anymore. And I think we've definitely seen that shift too over the pandemic. People had to talk to each other. There were no you know, other sides of the office because you weren't. And if you weren't talking to anybody, you weren't getting your work done. So I think it definitely sh helped the shift to be able to collaborate more. And now we just have to keep collaborating and finding new ways of collaborating. Cause I think we also did, uh, you know, get zoom fatigue or, or you know, meeting fatigue or, or virtual things. So it's how do we take what we learned and implement it to be something more uh, today? Yeah. Let me add on that and lean into this one. Cause I, I really, I've had the opportunity um, in the last year. So I, I again, I, my industry, I serve as civil and infrastructure construction, but the industry that I that I am in is the people 
development and the organizational development industry, but the industry we serve, when when I started hearing a lot of these conversations and really Jen and Ev get a lot of credit for educating me to a deeper level on some of these spaces, when I hear Jen talk about digital delivery, I hear Ev talk about the things that are facing us. We're talking about as an industry trying to find a common language, right? So there's these common codes. How do we speak in the same language? Because if not, or we're speaking past each other. We're looking to try to find unified goals. We're creating models as documents, right? So the model where we can all look at the same model and see our different pieces, but see how they come together. That same thing applies to answering your question you just said, Nate. So it's the same piece. We have generations that have different experiences, different backgrounds, different languages, different ways they see the world. How do we get them to have a common language? How do we get them to have a common goal? How do we get them to see that they're better together? And how, what are we doing as organizations to create those atmospheres, their spaces, those places where people belong and understand? And how are we investing in people that way? That's re really the comment. And our goal here, our thought process is we get this as an industry and we're advancing our technology to understand that. Let's also advance our people to understand it. Right. And collaboration in the industry is going beyond you know, just age. Right now, we can't successfully connect construction. We can't implement digital delivery if we're not talking about a full asset life cycle. So we should have generational, you know, conversations going on. And beyond this, we need to be, it's a collaboration mindset that's coming in. Mindset is a great word when we're talking about changes in the industry. And the collaboration mindset does have to go through respect for the other stakeholders involved in the project that could be the community that could be the surveyors and designers that could be the project implementation that could be asset management but if all of these people aren't communicating we're losing that collaboration opportunity and then we're also losing considerations of other people or stakeholders that are being impacted if we don't have asset management in to talk about you know the current situation in an area or what maintenance is going to look like we might not be pursuing an equitable project and if we don't have everyone working together we're not going to have a streamlined workflow. We're not necessarily going to stay on track, implement all the innovations that we can, make sure that we're all working towards the common goal of ahead of schedule and under budget, because we know right now that's not the reality, but that's Im impacting especially communities. If you have a major construction project in your backyard and it's going way behind schedule, that's having a big impact on just quality of life. So these are things that collaborations playing into just technology implementation, just successful projects. And beyond that, we need collaboration to perpetuate into communication within each silo as well. It's funny how often it, it comes down to simple human things like, you know, patience, empathy, stuff like that. You know, we've all got, I've got coworkers that, uh, you know, speak in acronyms because they've been doing this for so long. And, and you know, someone might be coming into the building with a intimate knowledge of how e-builder works and have to, you know, work with someone that used field books their entire life. So it's, it's a lot of times just like finding, finding the patience to, uh, to see where others' perspectives are coming from. Um, as we, as we wrap up here, there was an idea discussed in the, in the panel that, uh, I, I loved. It was a term that I hadn't heard before, but I, I believe it's growing more popular and that is replayment. So could you guys elaborate on the idea of replayment? Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna put Evan Jen on the spot after I define it and see if they where they see people maybe doing it well or an opportunity for it because I'd really like to know from their perspective. Um, it it is a newer term, but I I have been hearing it quite a bit in my circles in the in the kind of talent management or people space. 
And it, the, the concept is very similar to what Eva's talking about in this conser conserve and stewardship idea. Like you need to have a stewardship for sustainability. You need to figure out where you can conserve your resources. How do you conserve talent? Knowing again that they're unique, knowing that they're not widgets, that they're people, right? So how do you shift individuals to keep up with the pace of the business strategy? How we always say that strategy should follow, that uh, structure should fo follow strategy, right? So how do our people are, are leaning into people, what they do every day, their responsibilities, their roles, how does that keep up? How do we upskill them to match that space? How do we move them into the right role? There's this term um, that's been around for a while that I've always bought into and we talk about how you do that, what workforce planning is, if you will, or what organizational development is, which is right person, right place, right time. And I would redefine reployment as right person, right place, right thing. And so that's the context that we're talking about here. What is the right thing? Do like step back and figure out what we're trying to accomplish. What's the right thing they should be focusing on? What's the right impact that they should have? Think about what you're handing an individual and then make sure you have that match. And understand that with the pace of change right now, that a job description might last about a month before it needs to explore and move with the needs of the industry. And you got to get people to understand that too, right? Because you have people that that sign up for this and go, "This is my job. This is, you know, this is what I, this is what you hired me to do." You don't get to change that a month in. Yeah, we do, because the organization demands it, and we need you to move with us. And that's how we're going to make impact. And that's an, can be a real exciting thing if you bring people along with you. When change doesn't happen to someone, but they're part of it, it, it it's exhilarating. And that, that's what the concept of appointment really gets at. And I think it's absolutely what's going to allow us to compete. That's the companies that get that, that shift their resources, but by knowing their people and allow people to lean in and figure out their next challenge and have that match the business need, those are the ones that are going to be most successful. I think it comes down to culture too. If your company, your agency, or wherever you are has that culture of change, that's going to help drive everything. Um, but for one example, I'm on the design side. How do you change your roles and responsibilities to the right people in the right time? Um, it also comes into the right projects too. Because on one project, you might have, that might could be smaller on the design side, you have certain roles and responsibilities, but that might change on a larger project. Or I know I touched upon different alternative delivery methods. Those different projects, you you could be on, on four projects at the same time, but doing different things. And so you're going to have to adjust your roles and responsibilities on a project. And then in your career path, you might have different roles and responsibilities too. Um, as a project manager, you might not have been in, especially if you haven't been in a design authoring software for 20 years, how do you now have to uh, check or QC a 3D model? Like it's mind blowing, right? Like how, how do I change my ways that I've been doing for the past 20 years to now go into something new? And so uh, how do you bridge that gap, get the training, but also then do it in a way where you're still getting everything done. So I think it's, as our industry is moving forward, you're going to see those roles and responsibilities change. And then also these career paths um, grow bigger. There's going to be more opportunities. So if you really are interested in something, I think you can, you have a better opportunity today as you did maybe 10 years ago to actually pursue a new type of job. We're moving away from drafters, not just 2D line work being drafted. There's there's a huge shift now. So how do you take that job that you were doing for a number of years and shift into something else, but also doing it in a way where 
it's something that you want to do, not just because you have a job that you should be pushed into. I think that's where everybody can take a look and see what are you interested in? Because there's so much going on. You get a choice. You should be able to take a choice and, and pursue something that you're going to help move the industry forward. And that's what's exciting right now is there's so much out there to do and learn that you can make changes that aren't just two things. Right. And the concept of kind of shifting towards more gigs than defined roles is something that Tara mentioned previously, where people kind of can follow their own path. And this is a way that they can build that opportunity for themselves. But if this isn't something that, you know, organizations are open to internally, now we're getting into maybe not valuing someone for their full contribution. And that does play into diversity because we know there are inequities in that situation to begin with. But if we hire someone because we know that they'll be a great employee or they're going to contribute to the goals of our organization, happiness is really important. We want people to feel rewarded to be doing things that they care about. And people doing a same job that they're not happy doing every single day is not going to result in progress. It's not going to result in maybe the best project that could be, maybe not the best workflow that could be happening because you know, we're maybe digressing, we're holding people to where they are. And there's a lot of opportunity for growth that we could be missing by just not prioritizing what a person's contributing to the most or what makes them the happiest, because that's where they're really going to contribute to changes or contribute to progress. Because if these roles aren't happening or these gigs aren't coming up and we're not putting people in places that they're happy to contribute, we're not gonna make progress there. And let me just say that that makes me think of an, an idea that I would really love and I think our industry can get at. And I think we're a fantastic example of it. We know, for example, that we know this, this is where the world's moving. We know that individuals are looking for this idea of, I am an individual contributor that can offer quite a bit and I want to find a connection where I can have impact. And if I can have that impact for a point in time and then shift and move on, then great. If I can create that within an environment where I can shift and rotate within my company and still have impact. That's why rotational programs work so well. That's why large companies like a Trimble that can really uh, offer something like that. That's a beautiful talent development piece. But what if we blur the line outside of companies, like companies who are trying to solve things for the industry, like, I don't know, Trimble, HDR, Infotech, blurring the line between our companies and looking for rotational opportunities where talent, where people have an impact that can help each other. Those are the types of things that I think really, then you you have a shared resource where the individuals are opting in. You're not swapping them. You're not offering them like a trade. They're, they're raising their hand and they're saying, that's interesting to me. And maybe I can go try that for a minute and I can get something back. That would actually move us ahead. I love that because it's a, it's an educational thing. And that's what that's what universities do. You know, they send teams and swap teams to work in different departments and it's all about the educational process and this is an educational process. I think it's also awesome that you all talked about, I think all at separate points, you guys have talked about the need to step back and look at what your priorities really are, both as like a person, as a company, otherwise you kind of get stuck on that into chasing innovation treadmill. Um, and then the path gets a lot shorter when you actually are, are know where you're going. Um, before we get out of here, and I'd like to open this up to Matt as well, any calls to action, any plugs we want to get off before we wrap up our conversation? So I feel like this whole series, or rather this conversation could be a series. 
Like we've we've hit the tip uh, of, of, of an iceberg or multiple icebergs that have so much more uh, underneath. Um, so I would say our, 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 the call to action here to anybody listening is to grab a hold of the tip of those icebergs and start kind of dive in a little bit more. Um, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to steal what Ev said earlier. Cause I, I agree. I really like it. Yeah. The term collaborative mindset. Um, and, and you could probably, uh, put that to anything we talked about, any topic that was talked about today, you could probably tie it all back to a collaborative mindset. So, um, maybe the call to action is, is for everybody to adopt a collaborative mindset. And I think our key message here is, you know, how can we start talking about these things? How can we start thinking about these things? You know, can we brainstorm on these? Can we collaborate? We're really moving towards openness of workflows, of integrating different technologies with how they can contribute to a common goal. But how can we reflect that when it comes to people, when it comes to talent and collaboration there? So I think that's a key message. Jen and Tara, anything from y'all before we uh, wrap this thing up? Sure. I don't know if it's going to dig too much deeper because it would keep going. But I think as we start moving forward in the, the collaborative mindset, we also have to take the time to do almost an airing of grievances, to, to listen to people's fears and what they're scared of and what the issues might be so that when you do collaborate and move forward to the happiness part, you're taking that all into account. I know we want to push forward and keep doing awesome things. And you're like, this is going to be great. But you also have to keep in mind everybody that you're bringing with you where they are too. Like, what are the, like, how can we help them move forward? But what are their fears? What are their issues? You know, what, what don't they think is going to work so that you can help build upon that. So it's, it's twofold. It's, it's collaborating, but also listening and being able to be proactive in the education, the, the learning, the technology, where you're going and your strategic plan to move forward. Cause it is a plan. It can't just be a, a one sh shot, you know, new thing so it's it's holistic approach to all of it right just bringing in like patience and empathy for meeting people where they are of uh, i'll pull in um my favorite yoga quote that practice makes progress and sometimes progress looks like regression and our industry is not going to be able to change overnight we would all love to see it i would love to see it everyone on this call would love to see it but giving people room to grow and maybe make mistakes and how can we move to an openness of change, like the concept of understanding that Jen mentioned, understanding where people are coming from, because we can walk in here and talk about something that everyone in this room is very passionate about. Any one of us can talk about this for hours or days or weeks, and we have been, and we get really excited about it. But how can we understand what different perspectives are coming in? And that's right now a world issue as well, but giving people the grace and opportunity to grow and change is really going to be key, especially in an industry like ours. I'll just end with underscoring what Matt said before. Be willing to lean in and and question. This is the start of the conversation, not the end. It, it's been going on for a while. I think I'm I'm just lucky enough to meet two incredible professionals who said they wanted to lean in a little bit more and talk about it. And maybe we got some attention. Awesome. Yeah, like Matt said, uh, you know, we just scratched the surface, but I I still feel like we found gold. So a big thank you to y'all for joining us. Uh, thanks to Trimble. Thanks to HDR. Thank you to Infotech. Um, thank you to Matt for joining me in the host chair. Thank you to Chris Freud for the excellent production support. And as always, keep it civil.